0: Were you silent or were you silenced? I just want to make it clear to everybody there is no subject that's off limits. Almost unsurvivable sounds like there was a breaking point.
1: welcome welcome and welcome back to the political baby podcast brought to you by your Shirley Marrow, aka political baby aka the revolutionary shorty now you already know why you're here we're here to make academia sexy and this is an official welcome to season two let's go i can't believe we are in season two i am so excited thank you so much guys spotify ranked us as like the top 125th uh, popular news podcast and we're only six episodes in so thank you so much for riding with me guys throughout season one there is so much more in store and i'm talking really fast because we have (laughs) we have a lot to get through in this episode so the Oprah Meghan Harry interview aired over a week ago and it drew 49.1 million viewers. Amazing Oprah is the queen of television. Um and it was a tell-all interview about the royal family. And I think the reason why I want to touch on it is all the th- various themes like race, gender, misogynoir, empire, colonialism, all of that. And today the title is Fight the Power, a song by the Isley Brothers. And I'm using it ironically because when the you know interview came out, everyone's like, oh my God! They're challenging the monarchy. They're bringing it down. They're revolutionizing it. Everyone needs to calm down. Like that is so far from the case, um, at all. <laughs> and yeah, I think because I have so many people on on this episode, I would like to just have take out some time to talk about my personal opinion. Um, number one, I'm leaving out her mental health because no one has has the authority to open a discussion about that, but I'm very happy that she brought it up and it needs to be taken very seriously. And I don't think anyone deserves to make a spectacle or have some voyeuristic outlook on her, on her mental health where we open it up and discuss it, all of that, no. I also think two things can coexist. These are not mutually exclusive. Number one, I extend my full sympathy to Megan and the racism that she has faced and I condemn it. It's awful, absolutely awful. And it is awful, but let's not also romanticize imperialism. I think you can definitely compartmentalize the fact that we condemn this racism and this is an Awful, awful level of discrimination against Megan, but also understand the fact that if things did not end up this way, that they that Megan and Harry would have been more than happy to uphold this imperialist institution. And we have to understand that and have that conversation because it deserves to be had. <laughs> So we're switching things up today. We have three amazing guests. Firstly, we have Ikem, A.K.A. Ikemnomics. <laughs> he is a student at the University of Exeter studying economics and politics. He's the outgoing uh, ACS president at his university. He has wide ranging interests. Like this is the OG in economics. His interests vary from sociopolitics to social organization to international development. And he's heavily influenced by left-leaning scholarship. I'll link all his details below. Then we have Toju. She is a finalist law student at the University of Glasgow. She's a writer. She's interested in skincare, politics, social commentary, general singletarian. I should know because I follow her. And she's also interested in black women first and foremost. Adana. Then we have Adana. She's a savvy political commentator, a politics student, and she runs an Instagram blog discussing sociopolitical issues. And I will link it down below. So guys, let me tell you, these people are here to finish the analysis. So let's get started. So in terms of what you guys are going to expect in this episode, it's going to be a mix and match of voices that you hear. And it's as follows. So Ikem will start talking about the distinction between the family versus the firm. Then I'll bring Toju on to talk about blackness, how we conceptualize race and why we reject the one drop rule. Then we have Adana talking about colorism. Then I'm bringing Toju and Adana to talk about this kind of revolutionary face that we are ascribing to Meghan and Harry then Ikem would come back and finish it up we'll talk about Piers Morgan um how male um, men are entitled to female bodies and also what marriage lessons can we learn from Meghan and Harry so yeah very exciting stuff so you guys should stay tuned for the entire thing because it is sexy and it is saucy at the start of this episode you probably heard just a little clip from the trailer of the Oprah Megan interview or if you've just been online you've seen it float around and in as much as these are real people's lives I think there's kind of an entertainment value to it where there was a lot of suspense and there was a bit of promise of drama so I'm going to start with you Ikem do you think the actual interview matched up to what you saw in the trailer or what was albeit proposed to us
2: first of all as a rule of thumb, I'm very skeptical of saucy trailers I, I don't think a trailer has ever enticed me or excited me in my life I mean the times I have <laughs> again, FIFA. Or anyone that plays FIFA knows this heartbreak. FIFA trailers when I was younger. Oh, you know, I'd be over the moon. Oh my gosh, this is going to be another great game, and it would come out, and that thing was bullcrap. So, <laughs> I've not, I've not really been the one to to focus on on the sortness of trailers. Me, I was just looking for. I saw the trailer, and I was like, okay, this trailer to me is indicative that you know it's coming. You know, that's what mm. I took it as as a notification. And um, but uh, did that thing, the interview, matched up to the trailer? In some ways, no, but in other ways, yes. I think what I was I was expecting was the conventional, you know, I was expecting allegations that were true, difficult to be, believe. But what what Megan and Harry showed us is something that exists within the royal family's track, the mm. you know, track of behavior. Things that these are these are these are historical patterns.
1: You're so right. I think, especially you touching on the historical patterns of the family now the royal family has been embroiled in a lot of controversy with that kind of level of controversy people have conflated i think the family and all that is going on within it but i think during the interview and what was news to me is that megan tried to create this distinction between the family and and the institution i.e the firm There's the family and then there's the people that are running the institution. Those are two separate things. And it's important to be able to compartmentalize that because the queen, for example, has always been wonderful to me. So these are her words. they were very fond of telling us good stories about the queen. So I just want to know: Do you think the distinction is as clear-cut as that? Number one, and number two: Do you think the queen is necessarily absolved from all that has been going on? I,
2: I think there are two parts, there, there are two, there are two um, questions. There are two parts of that question. So there's a question of what were Harry and Meghan trying to do, mm. right, and what were their intentions in doing so. And then there is, you know, the connection between the queen and the firm. The queen and the firm is the one I'll address first, mm. right? You see, the 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 Windsor family, which is, which is how they're referred to, have with drinking King George the I'm going to go on a limb and say, some, all the real families around him collapsed, right? Mm. And then um, the firm made the decision. In fact, I don't know if everyone knows this, but the firm made the decision at that time because you know, um. Um, the British royal family are not actually British they're actually German largely. Mm-hmm. and they had the name they had the name Saxe-Koburg, and this was during the war with the world War this was during uh, World War one. so it was like um, so the, uh, they were fighting Germany so they decided to change their name to, from saxe coburg the firm decided to change their name which was the I forgot forgotten who was in charge of the firm that time was the Queen's private principal or private secretary or something and they decided to change the name from saxe coburg to um, Windsor. What that is indicative of there was no pushback from the from the king himself at that point because he recognizes that while he is in charge of the monarchy in simple terms, while he mm-hmm. is at the head of the monarchy in simple terms, and same thing for the queen today, their dece- their decisions in the film are tandem to his survival. So implicitly, whether he directs, whether the king or the queen now directs it or not, she realizes that their decisions have always and will always protect her. So while, yes, she's absorbed from the decision-making, but she's not absorbed from the fact that she recognizes that she benefits from it. And, you know, when it comes to what Harry and Meghan were trying to do, I think I mean, Harry and Meghan realized that they were, they were creating a, a media... You know, when you go... When you're Harry, when you're Meghan and Harry and you're going to level some accusations against one of the most powerful families in the world. You're yeah. creating a media monster, right? Mm. A media monsters, um, they devour through everything. You put the names in front of them. You don't even give the story. They, they go through everyone. Now, you know, the Queen is being ransacked. Philip is being roasted. Charles, <laughs> Charles <laughs> is heavy <laughs> on the PR and can't hide anything. Mm. And William is on the he's on ropes. Kate is on ropes. So, you know, I think Harry and Meghan realized they were they were creating a media monster. And my view is, from my perspective, I think they made the decision that if a family member is not completely responsible Mm. for their scenario, they didn't want to put them in the line of fire.
1: Mm. So
2: it's the kind of like...
1: Okay, that's really insightful. So, Ikem, what I'm hearing you say is that for Meghan and Harry, it's not that... They are completely trying to absolve anyone, but that because they are a mix of agents involved in making the environment hostile, they wouldn't want to prematurely place any spotlights on any one member. Now, I think we can't really talk about Meghan, Harry, the royal family without talking about race blackness whiteness what all of that means and i think one of the best people to really handle this conversation with so much vim is toju so i'm gonna bring her on so toju please say hi
0: hello thank you for having me i'm very excited to tear everybody singlet when it comes to this megan harry no because when i say that the takes have been poor (laughs) And they've been disappointing.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I definitely agree with you that some of the takes haven't been the greatest. So my question to you is, what do you think people have been getting wrong in their analysis?
0: When they say oh, she suffers because she's a Black woman. So I think the first problem I have is where everybody kind of is aware that Meghan Markle is biracial and identifies as such and had always mentioned that beforehand to an extent, we'll touch on the fact that that hadn't always been the case. Now, all of a sudden, I'm saying, and this is all happening because she's a Black woman. Where is the Black woman like it's just like they they didn't have a problem with this that and the other it's because she's black they don't have a problem with Kate doing this that and the other it's because she's because Megan's black and not to erase her blackness but you guys are erasing her whiteness she is both black and white I think because she's she she suffered you know the racism that she suffered because of course of her blackness but she did not suffer because she was black because she's not black she's both black and white she would never even she in the interview always referred herself as a woman of colour and I think there is a lot of people being intellectually dishonest and it kind of just plays into that whole thing of political blackness where the suffering that she has suffered is because she's black and we ascribe blackness to everybody who suffers racism where everyone who suffers from proximity to blackness so that's not very that's very ugly I don't like denoting blackness to anybody who is suffering I don't like blackness being synonymous with suffering i really don't like that at all now Toju,
1: we have spent a lot of time talking about blackness and i think megan's blackness has come into question many many times and i think this brings us into the topic of the one drop rule now for those who don't know the one drop rule really became prominent in 20th century united states right and it's this idea that if you have any mixed blood like even one drop of blackness that you are considered non-white and and I think, <laughs> I think I reject it on so many fronts because number one, it's 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 derogatory. I think this it's a white supremacist tool to preserve whiteness, this idea that blackness is a contaminant. Number two, I think because interracial relationships are way, way more prominent, there are more racial identification options, you get what I mean? And you have more mixed-race children and more mixed-race people than there were at that time. So I do think we should now begin to expand um, how we you know, talk about race, given the fact that I think the population and the shifting demographic, there is a shift in that demographic. Um, number three, I think it erases parts of self. I think people think that interracial relationships are just basically black and white and don't realize that there are other ethnic minorities like Kamala Harris is black and Indian. And to say she's just wholly black would be inaccurate and also purging out the fact that she grew up with her Indian side of the of, of the family. Um so I think I reject it on many things because I, I don't <laughs> I don't see why I should be upholding this white supremacist tool. But I think also what's important is that this is this idea of the one drop rules is quite specific to the us but i'm seeing that there is now a shift where would i say that it's becoming increasingly exported to other parts of the world specifically the uk so i just wanted to know your thoughts on this do you agree don't you agree well what is your take on it
0: and then about it being exported to the to the uk i've definitely seen it because i've definitely seen like you know biracial girls just and the thing is most times biracial people actually that's a lie because sometimes they'll they'll be fighting on twitter to to call themselves you know be allowed to call themselves black because yeah well i am black if people saw me they wouldn't they wouldn't call me white or they wouldn't like treat me like i'm white i'm black because of my experiences and i also experience racism and again like i don't like conflating you know calling as, as racism as you know as black, exactly, because we back. So I think that that's just poor in general. And and watching that culture be exported to the UK, watching us systematic like system- systematically be erased, really from calling what what's her I name, mean, Rochelle Humes to do that documentary, Leanne doing the colorism documentary. Like you're seeing it happen in real time as we are allowing that one drop rule to be exported it's uh, resulting in our erasure and we are consenting it wasn't a discussion that we had to have before it was a mercy that we had we could leave to the americans and now we have to deal with it here too cool and also you're letting white supremacy win mm-hmm. people are forgetting when you call a biracial person biracial you're not erasing them of their blackness because by calling them black so are you erasing them of their whiteness why do you want to do that too you the one drop rule is a tool of white supremacy because blackness was seen as a what's the word I'm looking for contaminants thank
1: you so much for that Toju and I think that's why I said earlier we need to expand our understanding of race beyond very white supremacist ideals and I think for that reason that's why I reject The notion of like the one drop and and things like that. You know what? I think on that note, let's talk about colorism. Now, if you know me, you know that I do not shy away from the topic of colorism. Now, for those who do not know, colorism is defined as the prejudice or discrimination against individuals with a dark skin tone, typically among people of the same ethnic or racial group. Now, Megan obviously is biracial and very light skinned, Um, but somehow her experience has drawn a lot of analysis and critique and discourse about colorism. So Adamana, please tell me, how do you think colorism features in this discussion?
3: I mean, I think the whole thing is just really colorism is for me one of the most important, you know, things, because if you talk to any black person, you know, they They'll tell you that if she was you know, kind of fully black with her forcey hair or braids or dread, she would not even have entered that place in the first place. Like they would, no, you know, so her kind of light skinness and her proximity to whiteness is kind of the reason she was initially tolerated but as um, Ijoma Alua, she made a very insightful Instagram post on this. And, you know, it's basically this whole concept that your light skin privilege can get you into places where, you know, dark skin Black people won't be able to go. But once you're the only Black person somewhere, you are the Blackest person there, and all that anti-Blackness that they might have, you know, given to others or you might have been able to avoid before, it will be fully directed on you. And I think that was something I kind of got from the interview.
1: Exactly. The analysis by Jamal lu was amazing. This idea that Meghan's proximity to whiteness has really shielded her all her life, really. But, you know, just the fact that she still has some virtue of, of black blood, that was kind of a rude awakening for her. Now, Ijoma also talks about the concept of trickle-down social justice. Would you care to
3: elaborate on that, Dana? When I saw Ijama Oluo's post, it was like she had completely stolen the words out of my mouth because I myself had used that phrase trickle down social justice in a conversation with a friend earlier and I was you know saying that especially with this kind of discussion about about racism in the media you know with the royal family she's the only black person there so it kind of only pertains to her but with the media this racism in the media i don't think it's effective because justice for Meghan will only be justice for Meghan and a few people that kind of meet her characteristics whilst you know raheem sterling marcus rashford all the other victims they aren't they didn't go to northwestern they don't have serena williams to vouch for them they're not light-skinned I mean, they are millionaires, but you know, there's a very different dynamic. And so I think when we do these things, we have to, you know, really champion the most vulnerable because if, when we start from the top, the kind of gains or any justice just remains there. The trickle trickle down social justice.
1: How personal personal justice for Meghan is not collective justice for all. Um, I think one thing that confuses me is that people created this narrative that interview was was something was symbolic of them tearing down the monarchy or or them challenging imperialism. In fact, I read this really bizarre tweet that reads: Harry and Meghan's rejection of a Holding the imperialism of the royal family pisses a lot of people off you know harry says you know this was kind of a missed opportunity in that his wife would have been this great asset (laughs) to the commonwealth which is basically this playground club of, of of former british colonies and she herself says that she wrote a letter to the family saying use me as you like um and i think also oprah Asks, and she inquires and says, you know, if everything went smoothly, you had your security, you know, your son's title wasn't stripped away and there was no racism, would you have stayed? And she says yes. So I, I'm trying to, I'm certainly I'm baffled that, that people are ascribing this revolutionary um, as if their modus operandi is to dismantle the monarchy where that's actually far from it. You know the way it pushed out.
3: <laughs> so yeah, I just want to know what you. I oh, this is something that's been really kind of on my mind, and I've been really passionate about this whole narrative of Meghan and, and particularly Harry as these kind of anti-monarchy kind of activists is completely. It's just re- It's just not true, you know. When you look at it, you know, Prince Harry. Yes, he was critical of the media, but it wasn't because the media was racist. It was more to the same way most celebrities are. Critical in the media, of the media, kind of that idea of invasion of privacy. You know, he wasn't able to, he was always in one scandal or the other, playing pool naked, you know, that kind of thing. And then also the element of his mother. So it really wasn't the kind of revolutionary kind of aspect people. And then when you also consider kind of his past allegations, you know, there's a video I saw yesterday of him using a racial slur towards, I think, a Pakistani or Indian man, his, um, you know, Nazi costume, just because he, you know, happened to fall in love with a black biracial woman and protect her, yes. He's a good husband. However, he's no Malcolm X. He's no, I i don't think his anti-racist credentials are there at all, apart from this one scenario. Um, and in general, that whole idea of, you know, the Commonwealth, I think if we kind of, you know, to a hypothetical scenario in which Meghan had been kind of accepted into the royal family, then kind of her role there, and especially her role as the Commonwealth ambassador, it would have been really used, I think, to kind of gaslight Black British people and also people of the Commonwealth, you know, we're not racist, our princess is Black, you know, this Black woman, she's the Commonwealth ambassador, if it was so racist, she wouldn't be there. And I think we do, whilst we absolutely condemn racism, one hundred percent. We have to condemn racism in all forms, and by doing that, we need to acknowledge that these are two people who are perfectly fine and perfectly willing to be part and be to be complicit in a fundamentally racist institution until they showed that the racism in the institution would also apply to them, not just the
1: word, 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 word. <laughs> Now, let me let me hear what Toju has to say. Take it away, Toju. You know what, Toju? Let's actually rewind. Okay, so let's rewind back to about 2018 when Meghan got married into the royal family, right? Okay, I, I could see all the takes all the think pieces, all the articles about how this was some great opportunity for the royal family to come into time and no longer be a cake by having a woman of color inside. And we're all still seeing this kind of narrative play out once more. Um, Harry said that. Megan would be this asset to the Commonwealth. Now the Commonwealth really is this kind of, would I call it a playground club of ex or former colonies. And it's, it's reminiscent of the British empire, all of that, right? First of all, I think number one, I'm very concerned with this obsession, particularly within the black community of trying to put black and brown people in white spaces and thinking that's doing something. This idea that whiteness, especially going into white institutions, is aspirational. Now, you know what, I'm going to play this clip by Sonia Rene and take a listen and we'll talk about this a bit further. Okay. And so when you're running around here talking about, oh, the monarchy had such an opportunity to elevate mixing the races. Stop that shit. That shit is fetishizing and it's violent and it's gross. It's gross. And it's your anti-blackness. And I really, 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 really want us to sit with that. Where do I make the lightning of blackness some sort of aspirational thing the erasure of blackness the um the uh amalgamation of blackness the assimilation of blackness into
0: whiteness where do i that was glorious that is exactly why i wanted to scream in everyone's faces for the longest time i you know the funny thing is back in 2018 i remember someone telling me that Oh my, I mean, but it's, it's, just, it's so cool that we have like a, a black member of the royal family, I was like, why is that cool? And she was like, no, but it's just cool. So, and she was like, like that uh, the, we have a princess and her mum is in like, has locks, like it's cool. I was like, I need you to articulate to me in words and sentences why that is cool. As in, I said representation is murdering my people. Why do you want to see, why must you see yourself in certain spaces? Why? Why is it important to you that we have a black member of the royal family? Is that? And I remember actually, I remember because I remember the, the Sunday afterwards in church. This um, uncle said to me, he was like, "You have a black member of royal family, you know, anything can happen." He said, "That's how you know this country is changing. Like it's opportunity. Everything is changing. Like you." He he, he looked at all of us girls. He He's like, "You guys can go anywhere now. There's." mobility you can marry anybody you can do it and I was like this whole delusion that we have in our heads that we can only progress and we can only be upwardly mobile and move through society whatever that means through assimilating into whiteness you know connecting ourselves to whiteness joining ourselves to whiteness marriage into it procreating with it why do we need to dilute why do we need to dilute our blackness even if you're not due to your black why do you need to add whiteness to whatever it is you are for it to be okay or for it to be elevated why is having a member of the royal family who has black blood how is that progressive for us how has that changed anything material and that's what my, my people need to know materially what does that do for us that's our representation is killing us because it's giving us false wins Ooh, a point I actually wanted to bring up a tweet I saw where it said we need to also kind of confront how we are looking at this and the sympathy and empathy that we're able to lend to this aside from putting her mental health struggles, putting a pin in that not even aside, because it's always relevant and always you know, valid if we had a black woman who married into the Trump family and had these experiences and said oh they called me, you know than anyone at the table and they called me mammy and all sorts of other and all sorts of other ill shit all sorts of other awful experiences and they said that my child's gone like this and that and the the third like if a black woman married into the trump family and (laughs) a black woman married into the trump family and said this is what happened to me i promise you twitter would finish Rust. <laughs> it would be a simple <laughs> time and so you walked in there with your two feet so if we look at how we would react to that compared to how we reacted to megan's royal wedding and all of that and, da, 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 and oh my gosh anything happen and this is magical and a black girl getting her fairy tale da, da, da. <sighs> How would we treat, how do we treat Omarosa? How would we treat
1: Candace Owens? That's actually really interesting. I never really thought about it that way. Now for context, Omarosa is this black woman who was a former political aide under the Trump administration. Um, Then I think she got fired or she resigned or something like that. And then she came out and said that Trump was being racist to her. And everyone was like, well, (laughs) what did you expect? And then Candace Owens is this political commentator who is on the right and she you know she's sympathetic to conservative american conservative values and trump uh, like kind of trump's political values as well if you think about it if these women who have so explicitly aligned with conservatives had come out to say i've been treated you know there has been racist treatment the reception wouldn't have been the same as as what megan is receiving now which is obviously more welcomed welcoming to to megan and more understanding so yeah that's actually very now, this conversation has been heated, but let's turn up the heat even more. Now, what has been on everyone's lips is the fact that there were concerns by some members of the royal family about the potential skin color of their child. Now, take a listen to this clip and we'll be back with the discussion.
3: Take There's a conversation it. with you. With Harry. About how dark your baby is going to be? Potentially, and what that would
0: mean or look like. And you're not going to tell me who had the conversation? Whew!
1: That That was something, and that was spicy. Now, obviously, I think because that was, I think, the most revealing thing about that interview, everyone's talking about it. There's a lot of discourse. But, you know, here at the Political Baby podcast, you know, we want to bring unique... Um, insightful and novel takes. So, Adana, take it from here. What do you think, what, what unique angle can, can you bring to this? What do you think is missing from the discussion?
3: Actually, I think one thing that really jumped out at me, and it was only today, because it is really subtle, is that the only kind of incidents of Overt racism, at least that we know of, wasn't actually directed at Megan. It was directed at Archie, and so when you kind of look at kind of the, you know the subtext of what they're saying when they're saying, "Will Archie's skin be too dark?" It's kind of like, okay, Megan, you're black, but you know you're light skin enough, so we can at least tolerate you. But your son, and you're going to you know carry some recessive genetics and make him something that's so completely you know, just unacceptable to us. So I think that's kind of inference that, you know, Megan's blackness was not okay, but it was manageable. But the kind of genetic, you know, implications that I could have had for future generations was what really was the kind of problem that was really getting them, you know, all up in a twist. I think that is obviously goes all back to colorism.
1: Now, Ikem has a lot to say, so I'm going to allow him to take it away and, and lead us into this, this next
2: discussion. So take it away. First of all, let's talk about the relationship between Piers Morgan and Meghan Markle. And his, let's talk about how his reaction to her rejection is how a lot of men act when rejected, especially when men occupy more positions of power than women. What? 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 Let me let me let let you let me let you jump in before I start uh, losing it. What what do you think about that?
1: Okay, so for context, guys, Piers Morgan is this kind of would I call it newscaster, commentator type figure. Very controversial. He was on Good Morning Britain before um being fired recently over some questionable and. terrible comments about Meghan Markle. But I think his relationship with Meghan or that the lack thereof is one that's, that's quite interesting. So several years ago, he met up with Meghan, they went to the pub, had some drinks, and he put her in a cab, and that cab took her to a party where she met Harry, who is now her husband. And after the day he put her in the cab, he never heard from her again. And you know, he says, and I quote, Megan ghosted me. So I think what's really interesting here <laughs> and laughable is that I think after that happened, Piers Morgan created, would I say, this campaign against her, you know, ad hominem attacks, attacks against her person, salacious statements day in, day out about her always going and running his mouth to the press about one thing or the other about her. And I think it's just symbolic of him being hurt. But I think what it's also symbolic of is that kind of entitlement to her, her attraction, her acceptance, her person. And when, you know, he doesn't get that, he feels the need for some act of revenge against and I think this is, this is really what many men do to women when when they get rejected. And, you know, from a very Nigerian perspective, you see that on you like your day-to-day, you are, and that's why they had the Yaba Women's Market March a couple years back, right? So you are a woman, you're walking down the street in the market or somewhere, and a, and a man is calling you, saying all kinds of things. And because you do not acknowledge it, or uh, Abhi, there's this level of implicit rejection, his tone changes. From one of quote unquote compliments to one that is so derogatory and spiteful, and he starts to throw derogatory words on you, you know, like, oh, you are shallow, like you are lo show. Do you get what I mean? To assume that she's a prostitute. Um, then he says, oh, you are even wow, as per you, you are ugly. Do you get what I mean? And so, the tone changes and there's this kind of switching campaign that as punishment for that rejection that a woman deserves that level of personal attack and verbal abuse and in many cases physical abuse so yeah i think you now have that on on a much global scale with peers and even a racial element where this Where, you know, this white man feels entitled to this woman of color and her own acceptance.
2: And you know, I see a lot of guys try and play this down, like men do. You know, whenever a woman does something, men will swear that it is not an indication of how the rest of the male population—not all men, not all men. I, not find not all very <laughs> yeah, I find it. I I I try and avoid using that phrase because the sound of it, it just it, it, again, like we were talking about earlier before we even start recording, it just shows a lack of humour. What do you mean, not all men is an insignificant comment? It is completely insignificant that someone is suffering from me from a, from a consequence of a man's actions and you are coming to tell her of all not all men what what significance is that to our current state of being but let me know let me not um, <laughs> let me not uh, divert my attention but you know he's rejected and you know men do this a lot you know especially if you if you think, look at the banking industry in Nigeria you know I hear stories of whether they be from her or from other people of you know, Men making advances to women in the office, the women rejecting because they don't want it and it is inappropriate, mm. and then those men, being they, their seniors, make it their life's goal to make sure you either don't progress or you have a horrible time in the bank. And while this, while the bank rep- and the bank industry in Nigeria is represents an anecdote, it is such a blown up and um, and um, um, occurrence when it comes to like women in work and women working that's it is so it is so crazy to see a news presenter doing this to let's not for I don't support all these titles, but let's let's be honest. For a newscaster to be doing this to a budget, to a, a budget, a duchess mm. in front of millions of people, mm. and have the effrontery to perpetuate this kind of attitude that is still shown at lower levels of society, just shows it just shows that that as men, there's serious, not just conversations. There are serious consequences that, that, that we need to pay for. And I'll never absolve myself. I always say, we, because at the end of the day, I cannot run away from it. There are serious consequences that we need to address within, you know, you, you a girl, and London guys use this alone, a girl rejects you. you say, yeah, she's but anyways.
0: Mm.
1: How is that different to what London Ward. is doing? <laughs> I think, I think you're very sound there in your analysis of, you know, this uh, refrain by the Not All Men Brigade, Brigade, because I think violence and attacks against women are on a structural level. So even if each individual man they don't commit that thing but on a structural level they are enabled structurally they are placed in an environment which can allow for that violence in a point where they can go unscathed um and and i think that that's really interesting and, and I'm, <laughs> I'm more than happy that you brought it up but you know what let's delve a little bit deeper into into the domestics Now, I think what's very odd and and funny to witness is how many people are, especially in the Afro-Caribbean space, specifically Nigerians, have this affinity with the domestics of of the royal family. Um, It started really with Diana, where I can promise you almost every Nigerian mother and auntie can promise you that Diana was their best friend. And then we're now seeing it with Megan, which is causing a lot of discussion about households, domestics, and the family-in-law. Now, there's this really <laughs> well-known trope of, you know, this new wife coming into the family, and you have these ill-intentioned um, in-laws, and there's a lot of friction. And what happens is that the husband is usually caught between his wife and his family, even though his wife is very much his family. But there's this, a lot of tension there. So I think Harry, attracts a lot of praise because he stood up for his wife which you don't really see often and you know that brought about anecdotes and lessons and morals about how men need to stand up for their wives more how do you think in your view um nigerians specifically are interacting with with megan's experience and just this whole royal family domestic
2: this true lot from nigerians ah you know, my, you, you know your, your parents. I, I don't know. Your, I don't know if uh, anybody has ever mentioned this uh, to your brother. I know your brother. I don't know if anyone's ever. But when I talk to guys my age, we hear this a lot. Your parents, your your family, will make slight comments about. extended family makes slight comments about. Don't go and bring a girl that will come and drag you from us, or or something mm-hmm. like that. Or don't 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 bring a girl into our family who is going to mess up or take you away from us. Do you, do you understand? Yeah. And I think a lot, of, a lot of Nigerians are struggling with the fact that they feel that it's also at uh, this idea of that women are manipulative. It's exactly. connected to it. I think women are these manipulative Jezebels that has taken him away from his family.
1: Exactly.
2: As, and I think I think a lot of men can take um, this thing courage from this. It's really nice to see a man realize that in your life, when you get married, if you get married and you get married to a wife, right? That woman, that child. If you have children, if you've adopted, whatever, those are your priorities. Mm. That is your first point of call. Not, not, none of this mommy's boy and uh, mommy's boy. this thing, you know. And you see it a lot, a lot of a lot of men. And I see this very much. A lot of grown married men are scared to oppose their mothers,
0: mm.
2: when, even if their wife is involved. Exactly. And I think I think a lot of people i think obviously harry is not opposing his mother here you know but he's opposing the mother figure of the family the, the
1: guys this marks the end of episode one season two <laughs> thank you so much and i hope you enjoyed it and please yeah leave a review bye